and welcome to the DM's Book Club, <laughs> a podcast where we read about some Dungeons and Dragons and discuss how we might include it in our role-playing campaigns. I'm not going to keep that entry. I'm not going to keep that entry in, Samuel, good, because that good. is too rude. My name is Fiona, and I am obviously one half of the DM's Book Club. But with me today, back first time on season two, is of course the wonderful Samuel Robbins. Samuel, Sam. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Sam? I am excellent. I am sitting, you may be able to see, sitting next to my nearly complete Billy bookcase. Oh my goodness. That, yeah, it's obviously it's been a little while since we visited around Sam's and where Sam is sitting is usually where Ryan, our DM for Xerios, uh, <laughs> sits. So it's nice to see like, oh, there's a bit of change in the corner. <laughs> so... and, and you know what's going to go in it. You know what's going to go. It just but Sam, why only partially complete or almost complete? Is there not like a shelf missing or something, or are you just like it's gonna have a door to hide my shame oh, of no. the huge <laughs> amounts of DD books I own that I haven't read? If only there were a podcast that would help me understand what is in those books. Look at that segue, <laughs> such a beautiful segue. <laughs> I, I, was, I was actually admiring how open it was. I'm thinking, oh, God, right. that'd be a nice way to put your as a display stuff. But I guess if you want to hide your shame, that's totally fine. But we're not about that. <laughs> how about yourself? Uh, I've been okay. Uh, still indoors. Uh, hooray! Uh, but things are getting. It's much nicer out. Like it's quite. I mean, I don't. I I know what you're like in your in your sort of house, Sam. You get quite warm. <laughs> you have to move between between the floors and stuff. But here, it's quite hard to do. So one day it'll be like quite chilly and stuff, and then suddenly the sun will come in, and it'll be like, well, there's no escaping this hell. <laughs> so, oh. Oh, but it's fine. It's it's one week of having the heaters out, then putting them away, and then next week bringing the fans out. <laughs> so we're just in sort of getting ready for that. But otherwise, it's been such been quite nice. Like we've had lots of blue skies. Um, I've been on more walks around where I live. Um, you think I'd explored everything by now, Sam? No, yeah. no. It's, it's always a it's always a new a new canal path I've not been uh, torn up from by passing cyclists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's it's all been all been pretty chill. No, no, nobody bookcases unfortunately. My not been to IKEA recently. Oh, so. the one thing we truly miss in lockdown. You joke! <laughs> I kind of do this. I missed it. The else is behind me. I was again great for podcasting it's my own sort of small bitty bookcase or as colleague i think it was called and i really like those ones but it's just like the little um it's like squares within squares they're quite filled like, with pornography from what i can see uh, thank you sam, <laughs> sam. <laughs> shall i tell you what we're talking about in yeah, today's yeah move on quickly <laughs> <laughs> so today i thought Obviously, you know, usually we're thinking of like cool topics to talk about. And we've been in, you know, you and I have actually covered some really interesting topics. We've talked about Oblexes last time you were on. We went into a really deep dive about salt marsh, which I think we both have only just recovered from. <laughs> <laughs> But today I thought, let's try something a little bit different. So I don't know how au fait you are with uh, D&D Beyond Sam. I know you use it, but whether or not you use any of these, uh, there's quite a few articles that go on there. And one of the things I've been reading up now and then, there used to be a uh, person, like the lead writer, his name is James Hake. He started writing something called Encounter of the Week series, where basically every week he'd write like a very short encounter that you could use in your role-playing campaigns. It's something sort of just something a little bit different and something that, you know, in a bigger, you know, grander campaign, if you're really struggling for something for that session, you could just plop one of these encounters in. And today we're going to look at one called The Mystery of the, I'm going to say it wrong, of the My My Canid. My, no, I've said it wrong. <laughs> Go on, you have a go, Sam. You're shaking your head at me. <laughs> Only because I got it completely wrong before we started recording. 
Is it myconid? Myconid. Myconid. So it's mushroom mis- people. Mushroom should people. We, should we just say mushroom people? Sure. It's not. I mean, it is alliterative, but it's still not the same sort of title. So we're talking about today the encounter of the week, the mystery of the myconid or mushroom people. Uh, mushroom people morsalism. <laughs> Fun guys, get out, Samuel. <laughs> So Sam, have you actually encountered any of this sort of uh, uh, encounters of the week stuff before D&D Beyond or read any of the articles before? I have, but I've always kind of caught the ones that were a bit more involved mm. and I kind of bounced off them. Either it's because they're trying to like sell a book that's coming out and mm-hmm. it's like half, half the article is like, of course, you can find out more about this in blah, blah, blah. But um, this article is just so self-contained and uh, easy to go through it's it's good interestingly enough quite a lot of the encounters of the week were sort of like ways to tie in sort of things if you were going like say there was a whole section of it of an and when they had the uh, the eberron the rise like the rising of the next war or the last war again when they have encounters that you could just buy like, here's an example of this sort of book and interestingly enough the mystery of the mushroom people mausoleum as we're now <laughs> renaming it um it's kind of separate it's part of a bunch of series where i think week after week they were just introducing salt marsh and so this one was a lead on from a different one but it could be equally standalone and it's just fairly straightforward so yeah and i I will say, like, with these Encounters of the Week, for what I quite like about them is that they they vary quite a bit. So uh, one of my favourite ones, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point on this podcast, is called The Dying Unicorn, which essentially is just, it's just a puzzle. And if you get it right, the unicorn doesn't die. <laughs> and if you get oh. it wrong, the unicorn dies and then turns oh. into a nightmare. <laughs> and oh, no. you, yeah, so it's a nice sort of, but it's a puzzle. It's not a com, it's not a combat unless you get it wrong. And it's very, um, how can I put this? It's very Resident Evil, the puzzle. So it's like <laughs> all these different elements that don't mes- necessarily make sense until you look at it in a certain light. <laughs> Why don't we talk about the article a little bit from what you said? What did, what did you think about the first part of the article? So the first part, he kind of just goes into the concepts of story writing, hmm. which I thought was really nice. It talks about kind of the inspiration stories such as Tales of Conan and John Carter stories have inspired D&D storytelling. And I quite like that. It makes up the majority of the article and it's nothing to do with mushroom people. So I was... I've been suckered in by the, the <laughs> mushroom people concepts and now they're just story writing. But it's good. And it's it's a good structure. And thinking back to D D campaigns I've run, it it kind of speaks of all of them. But the stage of discovery, where mm-hmm. your your player characters find something and encounter something that's a mystery. Uh, the trial, that unknown presents a challenge to characters, either in discovery of what it is or just surviving it. And then the revelation where the characters overcome the trial and understand what's causing the mystery. It talks about it being sort of like how in Western stories you have that beginning, middle of an end. There's a thing, I know it's Dan Harmon calls it the story wheel. And it's obviously known as like the hero's journey and stuff like that. But it's just boiled down to these three basic things at the beginning, like you said, like a, a discovery. So this, and it, this can, like you sort of mentioned, it sort of applies to any D&D situation. So like they find a dungeon, they find a, an abandoned village or something like that. And it's, it's sort of that, that mystery and intrigue. And then going through to like the trial where you usually have the combat or there's some sort of 
various tests or puzzles or something like that. And then at the end, the reveal is like, why has all this happened? And are the characters changed in some way? And depending on how well they do, they might get a reward. And I thought that was just because obviously it just applies in all D&D, relatively in all D&D, like a very standard, if you looked at any of the modules in general, like for example, and I know I've talked about this a little bit on this podcast before, we're doing Curse of Strahd soon. Again, that has a set very similar thing. You know, characters go somewhere, they are challenged by a big bad, and then they have to beat the big bad to overcome it, and you then get the reward of beating the big bad, which is to escape. <laughs> so very straightforward in that sort of sense. And it, it gives you the kind of the freedom this article. It doesn't say you have to do it like this, but this is just a good starting point. What I hadn't considered, and I know this is going to sound really, really stupid, Sam, is that it talks about in the article how not every player will enjoy all the parts of it. Mm. And I was just thinking back to ourselves, because I, for me, I love a good mystery. I love trying to work things out. I, I get a proper conspiracy board. Like we've done it ourselves in our Zeros campaign where we were trying to work out stuff and we never get there. We, you know, And I love that mystery, trying to work out, saying, who is the big bad? Who is this? Who is that? And then trying to make the connections and stuff. I really enjoyed that. But some players don't like that. There's like, it's too much work. It's too much effort. They prefer sort of that trial thing where it's like, all right, how can I, maybe maybe min-maxes, maybe just in combat, it's like, how can I, overcome these challenges but it also could be i think like puzzles or riddles it's like try, how do you fix a situation or how can you come up with a plan to have the, your characters have the most advantage but then it talked about some players might just really just like the reveal that there's a, some plot twist or something happens at the end after you've come up with things and you are rewarded for for just going through these things and stuff and i, I find that really interesting like so like I said, I, I feel like I'm more of a discovery person. I really like that sort of mystery and trying to work out things myself out of all these three. What about you, Sam? Is there any particular act, I guess, that you you see yourself liking more as a player? Oh, I think it really depends on the style of campaign. Mm. Um, I have found some puzzles in the past a little <laughs> obscure, so I struggle <laughs> with that. Um, I like overcoming kind of the concepts of trying to get somewhere. So mm. if we have a group and we're trying to get across a bridge, how do we do that? And mm. I, I love that kind of thing. So that, that I guess, would fall under trial. Mm. You're, you're working as a team, thinking out your different options or how to unmask the evil villain at a countess ball or something. Mm. I like the, the challenge in coming up with a plan. The revelation, I like getting the loot and winning. <laughs> like, yes, I could do this. I guess it's like uh, team building exercises. Like, I remember, because well, you played it with me, the, um, the I-Star uh, module for that where it is like you are going through this this facility to be heroes and going through like the trials as it were so the first one is like coming up with a good catchphrase second room is like you have to get all the treasure and most the most treasure wins and then the final the one of the final rooms is that you have to get off a, like a 10 foot gap uh, using all these other means that's not magical and you all have some sort of hindrance but then i always i did quite like it in the in the module because it talks about um by the way magic isn't deactivated in this room but just don't tell your players <laughs> <laughs> I'm just watching people trying to work out in a world that doesn't have magic anymore or doesn't have a heavy reliance on magic. It's how do you get four people across a room that one has a leg turned to stone, one has to hold a kitten at all costs, otherwise the kitten will explode and you will die. Yeah, all that sort of thing. So it does kind of give me awful flashbacks to like work training days or whatever when we're, we're coming together now, hold hands. And we're going to get across this rope bridge. Is that because of the people you were with, Sam? <laughs> no than... comment. 
maybe when it's not yourself or when you're a bit more comfortable with the, the people you're playing with, maybe those sort of situations are better. One the other point actually I was going to say about this uh, encounter is that James makes a reference to J.J. Abrams' mystery boxes. And I actually had a... I, I don't know if you watched the TED Talk on the mystery boxes, Sam. No. So it's a very interesting TED Talk. So essentially, J.J. Uh, Abrams did a TED Talk about... Uh, it was 2008. So it would be 14 years ago. Well, 13, 14 years ago now. I know. That's why I was oh. like, do I say that out loud? <laughs> Oh no! And at the time, J.J. Abrams was was mostly known for Lost, and he was talking about it's it, it's a very interesting TED talk because if you look back at it out, it's not very structured at all, and it definitely goes over fifteen minutes. And he shows a lot of examples from his own work, <laughs> which always makes me <laughs> laugh. But he talks about the mystery of storytelling, how much he loves that mystery, and having he so it it centers around this box he bought with his uh, granddad at a, a magician store in New York. And it's a box he never opened because he was like, the thing was, it was intriguing. It just had a big question mark on it. And it's not about what's inside. You know, his grandfather was always telling me like how to make, how things work and stuff like that. But sometimes it's like, you just need to leave it and keep it there. And it will always be a mystery. And that is more interesting than finding out what it is. And that's why he said he sort of applied those principles in loss. And it's like ask, asking those questions over and over. It's like go into that unknown. And eventually they may be answered, but they may not be answered. And I thought this is quite interesting because for me, in one of the things we'd get told in improv, I'm going to talk about improv, Sam, so get ready to glaze over. Oh, God. <laughs> one of the things in improv is that if you make reference to something, like you say, here it is, I bought you a gift, and you pass it over to someone and they open it and they go, oh, this is lovely. And then they don't me mention what it is or they don't name it straight away. It sort of builds and builds and builds because obviously the audience is like, well, what is it? What is it? You know, you, and you could be making references to all this stuff. And then by the time you reveal it as something, it can be either way, whether it goes really well, they're like, oh, that's a really, that's a really cool thing. They finally come up with what that is, or that's really disappointing. And more often than not, it's really disappointing. I guess my question to you, Sam, is that if you played in a game, which was sort of more like Discovery-esque type thing, so like it had questions and you were answering some of them, but it just raised more and more questions and then the campaign ended... Would you be annoyed that you didn't answer all the questions or you didn't find out all about it? And would you ask the DM to reveal that sort of stuff afterwards? I think it would depend on whether I'd be able to come up with my own theories. Mm. If it's something you could go, ooh, it could have been because of that or it could have been because of this, then I'd be happy in that because I had my own thoughts. I don't need to know what the revelation is if I have my own ideas because mm. I'd probably be like well Fiona doesn't know either she's just making this <laughs> nonsense up as she goes along but if it's if it's the kind of puzzle where you or mystery where you're like what what I think at that point it's, it becomes frustrating if it's a tantalizing mystery I don't need the answer but if it's a boring or unanswerable mystery then yeah like like with lost it, I feel from what I've heard. <laughs> From your opinion, as someone has never watched it. <laughs> that was that was a box that should have been left closed. Mm. But they couldn't by the end of this eight, ten series or whatever it was. They just mm -hmm. they had to show what was inside the box and the box had a really lame they were in a coma or purgatory all along. Spoilers. Mm. No, I think I yeah, I, I think that's a very good example, actually. And obviously mentioning lost as well yeah because obviously by the end of the first season i like i remember when it came out 
and everyone was talking about it. And it was obviously in the time before we could have like catch up or or watch it. It was like on Channel Four, and, stuff. and people were going mad because they didn't. It wasn't answering anything. And yeah, that was. The, but that was. But you're right. After the first season, people were like, "I don't understand. What are we doing?" And then obviously the next season comes, people are watching it because they want to find out. And I guess yeah, by the end of it, after yeah, but after ten seasons, you kind of need to give them an answer. <laughs> Or or leave something unsaid. So I guess it's finding that right balance to to get the get the answers. Because I I don't know how you feel when you DM sometimes. Like I I I really enjoy watching players like work out stuff or come up, like you say come up with their own theories. But then I am tempted at times to say, well, actually this is the right answer or something like that. And I guess because obviously as a DM you want to share it with them. But then I'm but then I guess I'm on that sort of edge going. Actually, should I share it with them? Because would that not diminish? their joy that 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 they've worked these things out like you know because ultimately all choices are valid that's what i always think in dnd that's what we're thinking going into this game of curse of strad is that no matter what you do it's completely valid there's no correct choice uh they might be in my head and like oh they're gonna do this and that'd be really cool but if they do something else then that's equally as cool so i guess that's what for me going into more and more games now is just to be like don't don't overshare, <laughs> which is maybe a rule for life anyway. But I just guess in D and D, because obviously you you want you want your players to succeed, and you're like, oh, you just missed out on this one thing. Actually, just better not just say it at all, because obviously it's up to them. Ultimately, after we've done this kind of whatever that may be, it's up to you guys if you want to look it up and see all the um or what you could have won or what you could have revealed. I guess. So. Yeah, I, as a player, I don't like peeking behind the curtain. And like I would never really want to know, especially if I've missed something, that would just be frustrating. Mm. But I think there's a very video games have a lot to answer for. Mm. And one of those is players thinking, well, the DM wouldn't have put this here if they didn't want us to pursue it. Mm -hmm. So certainly in a lot of the kind of official materials, so I'm running my players through Dragon Heist, which was co-written by the um the gentleman, James. Mm -hmm. Hey. A round um, of cake, so hake. Hake, hake, which I'm, I'm loving it. It's really good, but there are lots and lots of, lots of avenues that could distract players. And you don't want to go, oh, no, she's involved just because she's in love with the baddie. Mm. That's it. It's a, it's a side character that is of that no mean, That means nothing. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to say that. So instead, they're going to spend an hour or two uh, kind of sneaking into the villa looking through the diary, finding the right page, and then getting into a fight with the guards, and then being sent to jail, and suddenly they're in jail, and you have to do a whole scene in a courthouse that lasts for five sessions because there's other people there. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> sometimes, yeah, having mysteries which really aren't worth their time, you mm. do get that temptation to say, no, nah, it's not worth your time, but... Mm. Oftentimes, just letting them go after something, you you just have to come up with a mystery afterwards. Yeah, I guess just sort of making it sort of like having that being able to, I'm going to say it, improvise. <laughs> like when when they do something, but it's not in the book, and you like you said, you don't want to diminish like going. Well, they they picked this, and it's mm. there's not there's not a there's not a story hook. There's not a the end of the flow diagram for where they've gone. They've gone outside of the flow diagram. <laughs> what do I do? So. 
for me, again, like I said, I really enjoy this idea of having like a mystery over knowledge, like just seeing something like fleeting in the background. Is it is it something you want to to go and find? So like I always remember this, but in our first campaign we had with Ryan, we were like in a, a farmhouse or something like really early on. And there was lots of other little story hooks we could have done. And there was like the idea of people going missing from farms and no reason why. And we'd all been like, we we're, were all like on watch. We were going to sleep and we just, it got really cold. And we heard, I think, of somebody singing outside and we just, we just chose to ignore it or we just chose to suck through it or something like that. And then it was never referenced again. And in my head, I'm like, it's connected to the farms. It's connect- we, we need to go see what's at the farms because this is, this is creeping me out. But obviously we, we didn't have time, you know, you know, in quotation marks. And I just thought that was such a little cool little thing that you just, you just sprinkle in a few little, you know, unknowns that you just happen to brush past as an adventurer. And it's like, well, just you're in the wrong place at the wrong time to go investigate it. But that thing is still there. And if you go back, it, it might not still be there actually thinking about it. But yeah. I just I always remember that because I just remember like so how Ryan described it as being so cold and like and seeing our breath on the air and then somebody singing outside and we're going, nope, we're not in any shape to fight, whatever that is. <laughs> I guess from, from this <laughs> rambling discussion, what I got out of that is that it is kind of useful to know what your players think. You know, if you're running a campaign and it's a lot of mystery and maybe not enough trial, just trying to get out of your players like what is it that people want do people want lots of loot do they want lots of combat or puzzles or, or ways to plan things so like like you said if they have to unmask the big bad at a, at a ball how did they get in how did they you know what do preparations they need to do or is it about just finding all these little tidbits and of mystery and then putting it together and just finding out from there i just thought it was just again like you said it was a very different way of starting the article and actually i just thought that was really interesting and then going into the article itself it's sort of uses that structure as well so sam i'm gonna make you do some work <laughs> oh god no no i just want you to just briefly summarize the encounter for me like what in the sort of the style that we've done so obviously what's the what's the discovery phase what's the sort of the challenge or trial phase and so sort of what's the revelation phase it begins with the group of characters stumbling upon an old country graveyard in the middle of the swamp does it say why you're there you have to come up with that yourself and they discover as they're investigating, they fall under attack by a group of seemingly the living dead. So zombie-like folks jumping out of graveyards and giving them a hard time, which is the start of the trial. Uh, surviving these creatures, players might realize that actually these aren't zombies per se. They seem to be kind of having spores and infections in them akin to fungus or mushrooms. So. Then the trial continues where they've got to find out, well, why is this happening? It jumps into that pretty quickly in that the players can see fog coming from a nearby mausoleum. Mm. Uh, so they head towards the mausoleum, walking in, and this place is chock full of kind of weird spore-like gas. And the players kind of begin coughing and they run a risk of being infected, which I quite like. Yeah, I think me that's too. Also, I mean, it, it's very unlikely you have to roll really badly and you have to stay there for at least three hours, not necessarily concurrently, but yeah, the, the concept that, yeah, you can turn into a, a, a clicker, essentially, from The Last of Us. So yeah, so just, just to, to expand on that, so yeah, they have to make an, a DC-8 constitution saving throw, and if they fail three of them within 24 hours, they will become what is described as a spore servant, so those undead you were referring to. And what's interesting, because this encounter is aimed at a level three, 
Uh, go on, go on, roll. Are you going to roll? Got 19, I'm fine. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to make you roll every single time. But yeah, they have to roll every hour they stay there. And you're right, it's not concurrently. So they could be like, we're just we're just going to have a chat overnight in, in a spooky mausoleum. Like, <laughs> But you're right. But it's like, it's quite a low, I think so. Majority of uh, Pearl Devil players should be able to make at least one of them. But it's that idea. I think the only thing I would change for this is that if they got on like a natural one, that it counts as two. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I, I thought that this idea of this mist coming out of the mausoleum again, yeah, you get that proper gothic imagery and the spores and everything like people coughing. So what's what happens at the, the sort of the end part then, Sam? So at the end part, they head their way into the mausoleum, find a shrine to an old god of the dead or something, I can't quite remember. And inside they find uh, the whole mausoleum has been turned into a kind of fungal, mushroomy, gothic wonderland and at the center of this so once they kind of wander in place is pitch black but they kind of come across a group of this race of individuals or monsters in, a, in inverted commas because they're not necessarily evil mm -hmm. uh, called myconids right. yes. look at that you did it wow mushroom people mushroom people <laughs> who are very defensive so don't starve to fight which is not necessarily the traditional D&D trope mm -hmm. of fight everything. And they find out that the, the leader of this group, or the Myconid Sovereign, yeah. is, is kind of there and is aware of kind of the fact that they're spreading spores out, but not that they're threatening a nearby village. Mm. So there's, there's the opportunity to not end this in fighting. There can be peace brokered between the fungus people and the nearby village of humans, uh, which again, that, I, I like the fact that it doesn't necessarily encourage you to just go in sword swinging. Mm, yeah. But knowing my players, <laughs> there'd be a lot of dead mushroom people <laughs> in five seconds. But yeah, just again, looking at it, if because if, again, I know with the recent thing of Tasha's, obviously alignment doesn't count anymore, which is totally fine, obviously. But it, interestingly enough, the Myconids, uh, my canoids is the plural. So there you go. Um, they're all uh, so you've got little sprout ones which are considered uh, non combatant. So again, I just imagine them to be like little toads <laughs> from Mario. <laughs> um, you've got the adult ones, and then you, like I said, you've got the sovereign one. And they're all, their alignment is all lawful neutral. So I thought that was interesting because, again, like you said, you, you again, I assumed, I said, oh, well, they're evil because they've moved in to this mausoleum trying to find a new home and then they're now infecting these undead to be their sort of puppet bodyguards, which I thought, and, and that's what it sort of leads back to is like the spores infect the, uh, the undead and who then rise as what was described as, I'm going to say this wrong, is it Quathgoff spore servants? Say that when you've had a couple of <laughs> drinks of tea. Um, so again, it just changes the stats slightly. And I guess that for me is like really key. Because again, you know, we've all been we've all been in a graveyard in D D and you're like, oh zombies, excellent. So they've got immune to being blind, charmed, frightened, paralyzed, and poisoned, but they're not uh and immune to poison, but they're not, I think I believe zombies were like are like more vulnerable to fire damage and stuff like that. So they're quite scary and they're actually more plant-like these creatures so again describing these undead like you said almost clicker like from like last of us like proper like with like fungus coming out of various pools i wish more D, &D games in general focused on like what i call the undertale <laughs> way of playing games so like having the idea that you don't have to fight everything to get 
to a resolution. And I think what, again, like you said, what was quite cool about these uh, myconoids is that they they can communicate through uh, through the spores telepathically. There is a, the the rapport spores, <laughs> which I love as a sort of a way it just extends out, and then you could just talk to people with an intelligence of two or higher that aren't undead constructs or elementals. So your construct friend uh, is <laughs> won't be able to help you here. And the fact that you could all do it, like so, it's not just between you and the the myconoid, but it could be with um, with all of your characters as well. So, yeah, I just I I think yeah, it allows the players to to get that mystery, get the discovery, go for the trials, or whether to fight the servants because they're attacking them, but then also having that, like you said, that sort of like trial of like trying to work out how to broker a peace or to say like you need to move on or. You know, you need to. You're affecting this whole land, and then doing a DC 14 uh, charisma persuasion check, which I thought is quite high for again level three. Again, you might have someone who's like the proper face of the group who's able to do it, but it has to be a very good plan, which is the only thing I was like. Mm. But if they do agree to it, if they do manage to succeed, e- either um, if they succeed in negotiation or succeed in you know, destroying all the fungus and fungi. Um, the reward is uh, a plus one rod of the pack keeper, which I've never, I've never heard of before. I think do we have, do we have, we have a rod of leadership in our campaign. I've never heard of, of the other one. So I think it's a warlock specific magical item. Is it? Uh, I'm not sure what the specific. What does it do? And I'm looking through. Flicking it up. Uh, whilst holding this rod, you gain a bonus to spell attacks rolls and to saving row DCs of your warlock spells. Uh, the bonus is determined by its rarity, so it's a plus one. Oh, so it's like a plus one wand or something. Mm. In addition, you can regain one warlock spell slot as an action whilst holding the rod, but you can only use this property once per long rest. That's rather fancy. Not bad, but you're right. It is, yeah, it requires achievement by a warlock. But I guess you could always change it to be one of the other members of your party should you need to. But yeah, pretty nice, pretty, uh, pretty hefty, I think. And also, again, if you manage to negotiate peace, it, they agreed to a peace treaty of 24 years because that is how long the sovereign will, will last for. <laughs> I do like that. I like that as a concept that in 20, 23 years, there's going to be some poor village ombudsman who's there who's like, Ah, 24 years of peace in my village. (laughs) Yeah, the undead rise again. (laughs) It does say, as a final sort of note from me, it sort of says about giving it, right, there's a line that says, giving the choice of sparing the myconoids must have some meaning later in the campaign if you're having a long, if you're having a longer uh, campaign, which I thought was interesting, like whether one of the sprouts sees you like save or kill uh, the rest of the family, grows up to be an adventurer of their own, and then comes to join you or, or comes to uh, to kill, to, to seek vengeance or something like that. So having consequences for a longer campaign, whereas this could be literally like a session, uh, but having it as a longer, com- yeah. So anything like this, having it like a short sort of like, here's a quick dungeon, two rooms, etc. but there's consequences. I just, yeah, I think it's brilliant. Would you change anything or do anything differently or expand? I just because I'm a bit of a dick. <laughs> <laughs> I would definitely have 
one of the other so there's so in in the sort of the final room when you're discussing your negotiations you've got 10 sprouts or non-combatants so the little uh, the little mushroom children um then you have four adults and you have the sort of the sovereign the king or the queen or whatever i would love it if one of the adults really does not that, that I, I guess gives them a bit more personality you give them more of a trait so presumably obviously they they've moved here they are refugees and they're trying to find their space but they don't trust uh people to come so if, obviously if any if there's any um aggression from the adventurers that like one of them will be like no we can't trust them blah blah blah, blah raises up another undead and here we go again because they will they they said they'll only attack if provoked which i thought was again obviously makes sense but other than that i quite liked it i'd like some names i guess uh just because otherwise you 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 are on the spot making up names for like the mushroom king and you're like don't say don't say toad don't don't say toad <laughs> peach Oh, Peach. Daisy. <laughs> but yeah, overall, I think it's it's nice and straightforward. And yeah, like you said, this actually only is like the last third of the article. Is this sort of, is this encounter, but it's so simple and straightforward. I just, yeah, really like all of it. Uh, what about yourself, Sam? Was there anything you would like, oh, I could, I wish this was a little bit different or you'd change anything? I wouldn't change anything to the article because it it's perfect for a web article. It's, it needs to be short and, and sweet, really. Mm. Uh, things I'd probably meld into the story uh, in addition to what he's put here, is maybe a bit more in the trial, not combat, but in from the step of being outside the mausoleum to going into the mausoleum. Mm. So thinking through a kind of non-combat trial, like maybe building on the hallucinogenic um, capabilities of the mm. myconoids. Myconoids. You, you, right you said it right. You said it right first time. Yes. Um, so you could do like them walking in. And maybe if they fail their first constitution saving throw or whatever, or succeed by only a certain amount, mm. maybe they start seeing like weird visions. And you could almost do some like backstory hinting stuff and say, you oh. see your father who was lost to you as a child or whatever. And maybe have them need to either find a way to mask their breathing mm. or another way into the mausoleum or something. Otherwise, it's kind of like, Fight, go to a new place. Oh, it's mushroom people. Mm. There isn't much gap between the discovery and the revelation. Mm, definitely. I love the idea of having like uh, like an inner trial. So you have the trial by combat, but then having the trial of like that backstory of it. You just remind me of like Hamlet, where they say, my father, what is it? You, uh, you did nothing. Avenge me. Your uncle did it. <laughs> but, oh, that'd be so cool. Like having... To having your own little trials in between, you know, having to face. Oh, I like that. That's really cool, Sam. Damn it! Why aren't you writing for D and D Beyond? Uh, oh, well, mm, mm, maybe. That'd be cool. <laughs> I or well, my second idea yeah. would be completely rewrite the story, but similar concepts. So my idea is this: because mm. I I looked at fungi and like in general, I was like, well, what what does it use? And I forgot. Of course, it's used for like cheese and yeast. Type of fungi using beer. So I was like, how about center it around something like that? So the discovery would be that the party hears reports of people being infected by a weird fungal disease and turning hostile in the land. Very much, you know, you start that immediately, your players are going to be like, no, oh, it's the last of us ripoff. <laughs> and then uh, the players are shown a body and they can investigate and try and understand it, but ultimately they just kind of get an idea of what they're dealing with. The trial. Investigating the reports will inform the players that the victims transformed at various different places, maybe some pubs or a farmer's market 
or a winery. <laughs> um, and maybe at one of these locations, say the pub, they witness a transformation in progress as a group of diners turn into these, uh, what they call spool servants. Or yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and then you'd almost have a first revelation is that the players find that all the lunchgoers were eating food that had one common component, particularly rare form of cheese with a truffle vein going through it. Digging into this, they could find where the cheese is being produced, and there um, they would find the final revelation that either the um, myconoids are producing the cheese, or somehow there's been an accident and the the fungal is inadvertently being used and they don't realize that there's a myconod cave below below the farm or something something like that but sam you've like just improved this encounter like tenfold i i'm totally down for cheese <laughs> cheese like monsters and stuff this is awesome that's that's too convoluted for a web article but true you need a few extra steps just to make it um add mystery you know i i did see today like somebody had posted out like the stats for a cheese elemental and they'd done like a picture of it <laughs> of an emmental sort of like fungus. So i'm just like when you said that cheese i was like oh my god i could just imagine like some of these things coming to life but as like you said these people like with the veins going up inside them perhaps as well oh yeah i love that idea and yeah that, that adds a little bit of mystery as well i love the idea like there's also you can have mushroom tea as well so having a tea parlor and people taking mushrooms that don't belong to them and it's obviously affecting them as well that's the only other thing i had going off yours if you want to go proper british having tea parlor with mushroom tea going awry but ah oh, ah oh, amazing work sam don't well i can't wait to play in this this one sure. <laughs> Oh, Sam, well, thank you so much for going for really like a very a very short article, but we've come up with our own really cool different flavors on it. Oh, amazing! Well, I can't, like I said, I can't wait for you to run me through your your wine and cheese night, and then to say like, and now we play D and D. Yeah, I'm game. So, Sam, um, is there anything you'd like to plug? Any social media stuff? Like, I know maybe not, but anything, any, any recommendations you have, perhaps, or anything like that. On the subject of plant or fungal monsters taking over. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's the obvious one to recommend that I won't mention again because I've already mentioned it twice. But uh, maybe other inspirations, so like the Day of the Triffids mm. or uh, Little Shop of Horrors. Oh, yes. Which are more plant than fungal, but it's the same kind of deal. Same sort of concept. And certainly with the Little Shop of Horrors, well, the idea of making a bargain with blood, like a, a blood packed with, a, with some sort of plant that then takes over. Absolutely. Or, or a plant that feeds on blood and says, oh, we can make all your wishes come true. And it turns out it's not true. <laughs> or um, like James um, Hake. Did I get Hake. it right? Yes, I did. Hake, yeah. James Hake. James Hake uh, suggests is, um, you know, he's talking about different movies that people are into that have that three-part structure. And I think one of the best movies for having a three-part mystery structure is Tremors. Oh, that's such a good one. Kevin Bacon, yeah. Oh. And because you're in a place and you don't know what's happening, people going missing, there's blood on the ground, bits of body in places, and they find a body that's up a power grid thing. So you could find someone up a tree. And so there's the discovery stage, then the trial, finding out what's going on, fighting the monsters, the revelation arts, these graboids who have been eating people and they're here and they can't get through rock, but they can go through soil. 
and I have run that campaign and it went so well. So oh. highly recommend watching Tremors and then building a campaign off the back. <laughs> I remember that that scene in it where they're running towards the the spoilers, running towards the cliff. Um, oh, it's, oh, such an iconic. I, I just remember all those feelings because again, you're trying to work out what's going on and you realize and it's like oh, they're in the ground. And there's a guy who's already written up really good stat blocks for the different types of graboids so there's like small ones that can leap up and eat you and then there's ones which shoot out the kind of the long tongues oh mm. so good worth a google how about yourself anything you'd recommend uh, oh things to recommend that's not necessarily my stuff um i think <laughs> going going off on what you're saying about the sort of like the, the free arc sort of things, so the discovery or, or messing with it a little bit, I would say less maybe less trial, more like discovery and a bit more revelation. Anything with Twilight Zone in it. Um, I watched the first episode of Twilight Zone a little little while ago, where essentially a man wakes up in a town and there's nobody else there. It's proper. It feels like proper you know, 28 days later or stuff like that. And as he goes around, he is hearing things, but he's not sure why. And there's certain things happening and people trying to contact him on the radio, but he's, and he can't work out what's going on. And I won't spoil the ending, but it was just so intriguing. So, and obviously these are like way back when, where the episodes were like 20 minutes long. And you're like, we've got two minutes before the ending and they still haven't solved it. And it's one of those like Monster of the Week type shows where there's obviously there's the big, oh, it was this all along. And even then the ending happens and you're like, whoa, this is really dark. There's like just so many layers on it where you think, do I go back and watch it and work out like any, anything like that where you think to yourself, oh, all the hints were there all along. So like Twilight Zone, certainly the early episodes, it's it's sort of mind-boggling how they, obviously they had the really weird concepts or the sort of discovery concepts where people, there's just no almost mystery. And then there's a reveal of a very thin, like thinly sort of like, here's the ending. And you're like, well, I have so many more questions now. <laughs> But yeah, highly recommend Twilight Zone. And yeah, just thinking about plant stuff in general, I am going to say it, Sam. I'm going to say Last of Us. I'm going to say Last of Us too. <sighs> I've done it. I've done it now. Because <laughs> what's what's interesting about that is that they are so, I guess, compared to this, so obviously, oh, <laughs> I guess compared to this, they are uh, they are such a, a small part, really. Obviously, they are the, the environment. They are the, the context of why these people are. Obviously, in The Last of Us, it's all about those relationships with in the, the apocalypse. But there's something so creepy about the way they move and the way they look. And looking at, uh, I'm going to say this wrong now, uh, myconoids. My oh, God, I've said it wrong. Um, the you way, got it right, I think. Oh, well, it's, listen back, folks, and tell us if you've got it wrong. <laughs> When you look at like images of them in D&D, they're always beautiful, multicolored stuff, aren't they? They're sort of beautiful fauna. And that's what the thing I wish that we'd have more of when you have any creatures that are infected by a fungus or fungi, that they are beautiful. Any We see any images of, of mushrooms and stuff. They are beautiful, vibrant colors because they want to be eaten and they want to infect and spread their spores along. And oh, I'm not going to remember her name now, but it's the, one of the demon lords. It's, maybe it's Jubilex. No, I think that's the, the used one. There's one that's the fungus lady, the demon fungus lady. And there's that amazing picture of her walking through all these spores. And she's just like a, some sort of dragon on her hand and stuff like that. And you just think, she's cool, but she's so deadly. Mm. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, those are my recommendations. I look up anything about fungus lords or demon lords. And yeah, Last of Us 2 and Twilight Zone. <laughs> But Sam, I have to, as always, plug my own other 
bloody podcast on this. <laughs> you shrill. <laughs> Such a sellout. So obviously my name is Fiona. I run the What Am I Rolling podcast, which is a twice monthly RPG one-shot podcast. As always, Sam, it is going great. Things are going well. I have just finishing up editing uh, one that's called Land of Eam, which is about like a high fantasy, almost like adventure, t- uh, adventure time kind of one, which is super fun. And yeah, I got an interview with them, with the, the folks who, who created that as well coming up. And I've got, yeah, I've got all the little things ticking in the fire for that. But Sam, have you heard? Have you heard we've got a offer code for this podcast? <gasps> I have, but tell me again. <laughs> Look at that. You, you are great for audiences. <laughs> I'll send you your invoice. But yes, so you can use the, the offer code DMBC. Yes, that's right. For some reason, I completely forgot my own acronym. <laughs> oh, God. You can use the offer code DMBC at Third Space Gaming to get 10% off your first order there over all the products there. So you get your new RPG book, maybe the Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft that's coming out, or maybe you want one of those fancy covers of like maybe uh, The Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. Any of those things you can uh, do on DD books, but any other RPG books there. So yeah, 10% off using the offer code DMBC just seen their um they've got a collection of mimic minis they are mm. awesome yeah Jono, who runs it with um, their partner yeah he, he's been doing lots of painting on his streams and stuff so can highly highly recommend and also sam not that you're going to look at it uh, he has created castle ravenloft on in minecraft He's promised to give me a tour around it at some point because he says it's very impressive, uh, which I, yeah. I, I know from the blueprints of looking at it, but I'm like, I'd, I'd love to see it in proper minecraft So Presumably you you don't want me to come along. Not, not just yet. <laughs> okay. okay. But thank you so much for joining us, everyone, and we hope to speak here to you soon. And hey, remember, we're fun guys to be with. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thank you.